Hi, I'm Nicole Zell. And I'm Alexandra Mart. And you're listening to Follow, Follow Your, Your Arts. Art. We have a really awesome guest on later. Very inspirational female empowerment. And actually, we always pre-record these episodes not on the day they were released. And it's International Women's Day. So it was like the perfect day to have Sarah Alderman on. She's an amazing uh, filmmaker and photographer, writer. So you'll hear She's more from her later. She's one of those people... That makes you feel really like, wow, I'm lazy. I'm not, I don't <laughs> yeah, do yeah, I don't know. Yeah, she's like must never sleep. But in yeah. the best way, in <laughs> yes. the most inspirational way. Yes. <laughs> um, so we're going to get to that. We wanted to uh, talk a little bit about um, Shanina Diana, our first guest. She, We went to her uh, embryo exhibits. Ninth year. Ninth year last night. We all went. Our producer, Mariana, went too. And his crew, he's here in the room with us. He's always here in the room with us. We don't ever shout him out enough. I was gonna. <laughs> I was thinking on the way here, if I was, Mariana, what are you up to? <laughs> What's new? <laughs> he's like trying to not like get mentioned. What do you think of last night, Mariana? I had a great time. Yeah. Great time. It was really inspirational. It was very inspiring. It was very, I like cried me- at many different moments and I don't cry publicly often. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm just like awkwardly was- staring at her. Like, no, where's this like, I, no, like are you I, crying no, now? I was, no, but I was ball. I was just so Aww. like, everything was so emotionally charged. Like there was times when I was bawling and I, I think we can say this because by the time this airs, this will already be public knowledge. But yeah, when she mentioned that not only was it, embryo's ninth year but that it's going to go to the barnes foundation yes april 7th april 7th you'll be there performing and i just like started bawling it is so cool (laughs) because nina like i know i've known nina for so long and i know how broke Mm. she's been like yes and like how why like the night before like i was just saying last night was so great to see because Sometimes her energy, the day of embryo, because she's literally doing everything. She's getting the water. She's, you know, making sure the food comes and yeah. making sure that RSVPs are in. And and then she's got to perform and right. then, you know, talk about and her host. deepest. And, right. Yeah. It's insane. So her energy in past years has been like a little frazzled at times or she'll just be like, oh, my God, I forgot to eat or drink water. Right. And this year, like. She was just calm as a cucumber and just taking in her success, yeah. and it was really awesome. To yeah, witness. so awesome, awesome for Shanina. Congrats on all of her success. That was a really amazing night last night. Yeah, we thank you to that. for that. Um, so what's up? <laughs> what we is up? We hung out last night, but like, we did hunt. Yeah, we we we, we saw some nice go go dancers yeah, last we- night <laughs> <laughs> and realized how old we are compared to. Years past. Yeah, we were ready to go to bed by 10. We were, yeah, really exciting nowadays. <laughs> um, yeah, things are good. Um, doing music as always, doing the podcast. And I um, recently started this new thing, kind of. I've, just, I've been doing this actually for a while now. But I've always like just done jewelry making and dabbled in it because I just, it's really fun to me and therapeutic. Um, and by jewelry making, I mean like no like silversmithing or anything like that. I don't have no idea how to do that, but literally just finding and collecting gemstones, like rough gems and rocks and stuff, and then wire wrapping or making them into rings or necklaces or whatever. So, um, and then I was like, you know what, this like, I've made a lot of them in the past couple months. So let me just like maybe put them online and 
just like then people can buy them because like a bunch of people have said like, oh, if you did this, I would buy them. So I was like, okay, well, let's do it. (laughs) And then I realized after all the work, I was like, oh, this is another, this is like a small business, like the amount of work it takes and learning about setting up a Facebook shop and an Instagram shop and, and shipping and how things work and Etsy and like, uh, if anyone ever needs to know how to do any of that, I know now. And you it was have really, to follow your art at Gmail. Yeah, like it was so, I was like, well, how does someone do this? And there was times where I was like really defeated and like, I'm, this is not going to happen. I, uh, I guess now that's happening. Like, I guess I'm going to be having a jewelry shop online, which Wait, is weird. Yeah, you were saying that like, Every name, every name was ever was taken, and like yeah, like just so I went through so much to finally find a name, but I found a name, um, and I'm I'm calling it Conjure Jewelry. Nice. Wait, I'm I'm pulling. Have you seen the Portlandia? thing about everybody's making jewelry that's so it's so true because it's such a cliche thing it's so real it's such a real thing no no but your your whole concept behind is really cool and what about you what about me yes uh well i i was thinking that this morning how we were going to check in with each other after just hanging out i'm like what am i going to talk about and i was washing dishes and i realized that i'd have a creative process of washing dishes um, that's really annoying um, and probably wasteful. So I was happy to have this moment. Yeah, no, I, I like do a little soap. I do a little rub. I feel like I need to like mix up the water pressure to get one dish done. I never realized how long it takes me to wash a dish. Okay, wait. So do you fill up the sink first, or do you? Is it just a constant street? No, it's a constant stream. Right, okay. But, like, I feel like I got to go all the different angles. Like, And I just realized that I'm acting as if it's, like, a yeah, an intuitive process with washing dishes. Anyway. So it's, like, artistic OCD. <laughs> maybe. No, maybe. No. I wasn't really ever thinking about it until I was thinking about what wow. am I going to talk about. Okay. Anyway, that's really, yeah. That's interesting. Silly. I would but like to see this sometime. Things are simple. Maybe you should make a, a video and put it on our story sometime so people can see. <laughs> what else? I also wanted to, like, I was so moved that we had, like, a few people yes. come to Nina's thing last night that listened to our podcast, which was really cool and, like, the best testimony to keeping on, keeping it on. Because yes. this process hasn't been exactly, like, hundred percent natural for us and mm-hmm. it's it's also been a learning process if anyone needs to know how to create a podcast let us know because yeah. we know now and that was really hard to learn like now that we got it we, we got it but like there was a lot of technical things that I mean we didn't no one taught us how to do it so yeah so thank you to those that like actually came out and supported one of our artists and then um we got our first like little fan mail book yeah. Um, yeah. a paranormal romance novel in the mail so we got to read into that so shout out to joey d for that um but on that note like i feel you know as we move forward if if anybody can please give us feedback or Mm -hmm. guest ideas or topics that you really want to touch on yeah um we just really want this to be more of a community as much as a community process that we can make it so please like please 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 write us on our social media or at um follow your art podcast at gmail Hey everybody, we're here with Sarah Alderman, 
Um, she's a writer, a photographer, a documentary maker, a mama, a newly newlywed still. Yeah, still, still fresh. a little new. Um, <laughs> what does she not do? <laughs> yes, she is a Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, community builder. Anyway, we're really happy to have you. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> sort of invited myself. <laughs> No, you were you yes. were on our list. You were yes, on, you were, you were on right the list. Well, I bumped myself up. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Um, a little background. You guys have known each other for years, Alex and Sarah, right? Yes. I'm yes. so fortunate how you, how, to yeah, say that. How did you guys meet? I don't even know. Um, you take this away, Alex. <laughs> Okay, a few ex-boyfriends ago. <laughs> oh, no. so my boyfriend and I were regulars at the restaurant where Alex's boyfriend at the time was working. And one night we were having dinner in town and we ran into Alex and said ex-boyfriend and they picked up our check like as a surprise. Oh. And we were so like taken aback in a good way by that gesture. And we got to talk to Alex for the first time. And I'd always seen her around town and she was such a cutie, (laughs) cute style. And I always thought, oh, that looks like a nice girl I'd like to talk to and like get to know better. Um, And so we then went on some bumpy roads together with our yeah. Ex well, at and that now time. husband. <laughs> well, and I think like the greatest gift that that ex gave me was he he was like, "Oh, you and Sarah should actually be friends." Like, mm-hmm. for real. I can't believe you haven't met before. And then um we were like having a breakup dinner that time that we paid for your bill. Oh. <laughs> so like <laughs> He, but, he, you know, he that was how he was. He was like, oh, yeah, you should, like, hang out with her. And so then we were both looking for, like, housing situations mm-hmm. at the same time. And I fell in love with her kids, yeah. Tess and Olivia, who are 12 now. Yeah, basically Alex is their hero, like, the one um, person that they both agree on, that they look up oh. to. And I can see so much, like, certain things about Alex they want to emulate and... I couldn't pick a better role model for them. Oh, I just love her. So and they were my role models. <laughs> yeah. Your like, kids are amazing. No, you're <laughs> like I and also I say that I've said this so many times, I feel like before to you, but like they get a they get a photo shoot like almost every other day. Like no, they're so lucky. <laughs> yeah. They're so lucky that they get to look back on that. Like I like if I if I had a mom that did that or a parent in general, like oh my god, the, all the memories you get to have, like not a lot of kids have that growing up. Well, I think that one of the coolest things is that you bring them to everything Mm. and they get to know how to be social because a lot of times kids are like shy or they're they're very mature but they're like old souls they don't get to tell they're around adults all the time yeah Yeah. i was listening to your interview with michelle and she mentioned something about uh stage parents and living vicariously Mm. through pushing your kids and it's funny because if i have a well, I have many flaws, but one of my flaws as a parent is I do the opposite. Like I'm still actively living my life and I'm still actively chasing goals and fulfilling my own dreams. And so they get brought along for the ride. Um, whereas a lot of parents, I think sometimes sort of drop things and you know, that's part of it. That's part of parenting. You, you drop certain things so you can, um, go to soccer games and go to 800,000 dance classes. And we do those things too, but um, they definitely get brought along for my experiences and see how the world works. Basically, um, that's what's that's most in, important. That's invaluable. To me. You didn't plan on having them. No, they were a big oh. surprise. <laughs> um, I know that you might be thinking, "How could that be?" But yeah, I definitely wasn't in um, 
a traditional relationship or really much of a relationship at all. I, I got pregnant very much. It was very unplanned. And I was 26. I had a really good job. I was in corporate America. And I thought to myself, if I didn't go forward with this, would I be able to forgive myself in this exact circumstance? And in that situation, no, I wouldn't have been able to. So I decided whatever you know, he says, I, I think I know what I want to do. And he showed me a bit of grace and said, you, you make your mind up. Um, and so I decided to have this baby and then I found out there were two of them. I can't. I can't. <laughs> were you like, like, what did that feel like when you found out there was two? So I come from a very Italian Catholic family. And when my grandmother found out that I had an unplanned pregnancy, she cried and couldn't speak to me oh for weeks. God. I mean, I broke her heart. The guilt. She she just had, you know, my family really, and it's been tough, and Michelle hit on this in her interview too, um, just put a lot of hope into me, and I felt this responsibility, whether that was real or just imagined. And so I could just feel this, like, weight of letting my grandmother down. But when I told her it was twins... <laughs> It was like Jesus himself had come down from the clouds with a tablet that said, Teresa Puglisi, this was all me. You can be happy now. And she was like, it changed. The whole end of her life was just so filled with joy because of the twins. Wow. And um, I think, you know, not to get political or anything, but I think every. Every woman really deserves the right to decide what she wants to do. But if there's anyone listening who's had a circumstance where they're afraid, um, I don't think you might go through some struggles, but I don't think you'll ever have a regret about a situation like this. It certainly hasn't been easy, and I don't mean to paint it like it has been. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a lot more complicated than maybe some traditional motherhood stories. Yeah. Um, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. So... Lean in. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's really good advice. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So then also background of, of even before uh, the twins, I didn't know you were in corporate America for that long. Yes. So, so, okay. Yeah. Like walk us through that process, that story of like how you finally were like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm going to pursue my art. Where you're at now. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, with touching back on my family, just having like some expectations of me. I was a very bright kid, um, had a lot of potential and my family had a lot of financial struggles. So my grandfather had a gambling problem and had sort of like put my mom in a difficult situation. My mom got divorced and was a social worker and a single mom. So like, that's a tough yeah. road to hoe. Wow. And so for me, I was sort of groomed to think that um, finding financial stability was the most important thing that I could do. I skipped college. I went right into corporate America. I started as an admin. Um, and then I got my real estate license and worked for a fortune 500 company as a sales manager. And so I was selling one of the top selling communities on the East coast when I got pregnant and the babies were born in 2008, which is also when the real estate market crashed. <laughs> So my daughters were unplanned. They were premature. And one of them was in the neonatal intensive care for almost two months. So I had her in the hospital and the ICU and one at home and was pumping and breastfeeding, driving back and forth. Oh and I had to go back to work only one month after Olivia was released from the hospital. And when I went back, it was this whole different ballgame. It was maybe May, June of 2008. And upper management at my company was like 
losing their minds. There was so much pressure on us. I got put in a really tough community to sell and it was just like too much for me. So, um, I decided to start my own real estate team at the stupidest time in history to do this. Go get her energy over here. At a hundred percent commission with no benefits. Uh, and then I was like, look, you're going to be broke for a while while this builds. So you may as well go back to school. I'd never gotten my degree. Wait, were you with your mom at this point? Uh, yes, I was still living with my mom and my grandmother moved in too. So lots of Italians in that house. That's kind of nice to have all the generations help out with the babies. Was it? (laughs) (laughs) It was nice when I got to leave the house. (laughs) So then I moved out when the girls were two and that's when I went back to Westchester, full-time Westchester university. And the photography happened by accident while I was going to school for anthropology. What? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I feel like when the girls were born, it's sort of, I was headed in one direction, which I would say that my, uh, my conditioned brain had decided was the right path for me. And that was a very financially driven path. And I was successful and I was going to be this, I don't know, I have a Mercedes or whatever I was thinking. Um, and the girls coming into my life, it was such a dramatic pregnancy to have Mm -hmm. twins and they were early and they were sick and it was almost like I couldn't continue on my, Oh, the real estate market collapsing. Like, I don't know. I don't know how you can live my life and not believe in like God or the universe or whatever you call this force that tells you I'm going to decide now you messed it up. (laughs) This is where you should be looking. Um, and it was like a huge personal awakening. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so you said you started photography in school by happenstance. Um, how did that, were you just taking pictures of the twins or yeah? Yeah. So I was broke. So broke. I can't even stress the word (laughs) broke enough. And, um, I love taking pictures of the girls with my stupid (laughs) Canon point and shoot from target. And someone asked me if I would take their engagement pictures and I'm like, looking behind me like me I (laughs) I mean sure but I don't know if you'll like how it turns out um and so I borrowed my boyfriend at the time his friend had what I would call a real camera like an SLR I borrowed it I put it on auto and I did the shoot because I needed the money and they were they seemed like their expectations were very low (laughs) as they should have been. I edited the pictures, um, which is like how we process our images on this like free Google app (laughs) called Picasa. So basically I put an Instagram filter on it. They're hard for me to look at now, but very dear to me. So that couple, uh, Susie and Lazarus, their friends then hired me for their baby's Greek christening. And then their friends hired me for their maternity shoot. And then all of a sudden, I had this little tiny business, and that's how I got started. That's awesome. I didn't, for some reason, I thought that you had just been doing it forever, because you're so good, (laughs) you would think you would have been doing it for, I mean, it feels like forever at this point, right? It does now, (laughs) yeah. But I definitely had no idea what I was doing. So growing up, like in your, you know, elementary school, high school, everything, did did you have artistic creative outlets at all? 
Um, I've always been more of a writer and I think that's why I've been able to sort of commercialize my photography without too much pain. You know, as artists, sometimes we get really protective of our, Mm. our primary passion. Well, for me, it's writing. So it'd be harder for me to like write commercially things that weren't aligned with my vision for like poetry or whatever prose. Um, whereas with photography, I can sort of sell out a little bit more than, yeah. There's that some awesome vlogs that you did on being a mother with photography. I don't know. Are they still available online? So there was a storytelling community that sort of came before Medium. It was called Cowbird. And um, a lot of people that I was close to, photojournalists and journalists, were part of this platform. And my writing was there. I actually, when Cowbird went stagnant um, in 2000, I want to say 17... I actually deleted my writing because someone had asked me directly if they could use one of my lines in their (laughs) book that was coming out. And it made me realize that if they had the courtesy to ask me to use my writing, that there were probably people on the internet who had not. And Um, I just, I didn't feel comfortable with my writing being out there until I was ready to do something with it. Mm. So... Wait, so have you seen the book? Did they use your line? No, no, no. no, no. Okay, you're like, no. I was very... Very clear. Like, please don't do that. This is my, this is my, like life. my intellectual yeah, property. Right. You know? It is. It is. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So then, so, so now it's been about, well, 12 years basically since yeah. you've been doing photography. Exactly how old the girls are. About. Yep. Oh, that's really sweet. Thanks. And your company is called AGP. Yes. What does that stand for? Well, when the girls were little, <laughs> um, our friends started calling us the Alderman Girl Posse, and then it got shortened to the AGP. So when I wanted to name my business, I mean, it was a side hustle for me, and I did not think I'd ever be successful. So I was like, oh, this is cute, and I've certainly regretted the choice of <laughs> name. Um, but whatever. That's I perfect. For me, because I wanted... So I started doing wedding photography, I've never been particularly drawn to the identity or the industry of like mm. wedding-y stuff. And so I really wanted to do that work under and a why? brand. <laughs> but oh, why? We can get into that. <laughs> that will be a different episode. Yeah, that's it's like a whole segment. day together. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I really wanted my commissioned photography work to go under this brand name so that I could protect... <laughs> This is going to sound so delusional or like narcissistic. I wanted to protect my name name for when I was doing work that was aligned with what I believe in, which is more photojournalism based or community storytelling based. Cool. Wow. That's awesome. So then back to kind of college, you then you were going for anthropology, you said, right? Yes. And then did you discover photography and drop it or did you keep going with that? I finish. I still have to do three (laughs) credits. They told me two days before I walked that I was missing two science or three science credits. So I was so, uh, if you've ever done Mm. anything that you really could, didn't have the energy for that was really hard, you know how you sort of set your mind to like, and on this day I'll be done and I'll never think about it again. Well, that's how I felt. And then when they told me I had three more credits, honestly, it was like 2014. I'm still so pissed that I haven't been able to get myself back. Um, but I'll, I'll finish them. Um, but yeah, I finished school and anthropology gets a lot of like, I don't know, gets a bad name for being a useless degree. And certainly it is an opening any clear career path, um, in the job market today, but I learned so much just as a human being, 
um, about other human experiences, mm-hmm. things I wouldn't have even thought about, the way our language even mm-hmm. is coded with these dog whistles or um, hidden messages. And um, yeah, it just totally opened my eyes to a new way of seeing the world. Wow. Yeah. I want a whole segment on just that. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds like you, Phoenix. Yes. Season two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously, no, let's do it. So I want to get into a little bit more about your process. Um, or, you know, because out of survival, you've had to make it work and mm-hmm. just, like, take the gigs. And so, you know, if you could take us through when that changed and, or Mm. how, how do you get in the zone or, you know, yeah, I'm just curious about. So when I first started, I really had to chase every opportunity that came my way. Um, I did a lot of work that didn't feel super inspiring to me, but that paid the bills. And for me, I saw the beginning of building my business Every dollar that came in was towards equipment because, you know, you guys understand in music, your equipment is everything. Mm -hmm. And the same is true for photographers. So I definitely had to invest thousands and thousands of dollars that I didn't have in equipment. So I would take little jobs and put that money directly towards my business, making basically nothing. I lived off of student loans. Um, And then as my career sort of evolved. Once I owned all of my equipment and I didn't have to rent anymore, um, I could be a little bit pickier about what I worked on. I feel you choose people that are interesting to you. Well, you want it to be aligned with you. Yes. And I really love florals. So I try Mm. to find either the client is very interesting to me or we have something like we hit it off in some way. Or I know that there are true artists working on the wedding, and I'm going to at least get to take pictures of some really beautiful things. Um, But I read this Miranda July quote once that said she always has like a writing project, a performance art art performance art project and like a singing project going at once. And she likes to cheat on them all. Like she feels like she's getting away with something. <laughs> I love that. And that is so me. Yeah. Like I, m- wedding photography is very seasonal. So I always sort of have something in the off season where I'm like, and now like screw weddings. I'm working yeah. on this. Like <laughs> nobody cares. Yeah. I just feel like I'm getting away with something. Right. I love that. Keeps it exciting. <laughs> so when you're taking pictures of people at their weddings and these folks are stressed out being, you know, bridezillas or not in the moment all the time, how do you get people in the zone or how do you get an image to come to life when there's so much going on? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, when something's innate to you, it's really hard to put your finger on it or even see it as an asset because it might be something that comes really natural to you. But I think my energy with just disarming people, I usually take people away from the from the fray, take them off to like a side of the property or something and create a moment for them mm-hmm. um, because yes. it can be hard to let go of the tasks and getting sucked into all of that. So really just making space. (laughs) She did that for me. She was like, hey, what kind of song do you want me to play while you guys... And that was so cool. It was just... It was kind of like what last our last guest was talking about, like taking you out of that headspace Mm -hmm. and just doing something creative because she played a song for us. And then we're like, oh, okay, we can take these pictures. Yeah, We're not so nervous to see each other, you know, 
before we get married and right. say the rest of our lives we're gonna just stare at each other <laughs> but anyway <laughs> so you are really good at that um and so with your you have a lot of side hustles like you say you're cheating on everything <laughs> can you just talk about what you're really excited about um what what's your side hustle that you're into right now sure so I got into wedding photography so I could get better at photojournalism and I've always been really shy about going up to strangers and asking them to let me take their picture or to like let me interview them and weddings sort of forced me to learn on my feet and also paid me to learn on my feet. Um, so once I felt comfortable with those overcoming those shy feelings, I decided to create a documentary about my hometown, Coatesville, Pennsylvania, Coatesville. Uh, called mm-hmm. Bypassed. And so I've been working on that in all for almost five years and it's coming out, um, April 11th is the VIP screening of our feature film. And I, so um, it's so weird it's been hanging over me for so many yeah. years that I don't know who I am anymore. Like once this weight yeah. is lifted, I what's next? I don't right? even yeah. know how I'm gonna feel. Oh, it's right. but it's a good thing. It's just like mm. I, I I think we we had a lot of obstacles and a lot of delays, and most of them came as a function of being way underfunded. We made this film on like twenty seven grand and. That's not much for five years of work. Um, And so it started to feel like it was just never going to happen. So it's just sort of surreal. I'm in that phase of surreal. Like, I can't believe it's actually going to be a thing. Yes, let's backtrack to surreal because I remember this being an idea in the kitchen. Uh Um, And Sarah and I are both from Coatesville. So this city gets kind of a really bad rap. Um, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know. Everyone just posts bad stories or negative news. There's a lot of crime that there's a lot of bad history anyway. So I, you know, you were in the kitchen and you were just like, we gotta do something. (laughs) We gotta show all the cool people in Coatesville and like, you know, let's get a train station and all the, you know, and it's just, yeah. So let's walk back to having that idea or that feeling behind an issue and how did that grow into something tangible? Yeah, it was a long and winding road. I'm not going to lie. Um, when I first had the idea, it was a long, long time ago. I wasn't yet a photographer. It was just an idea I had in my head that I presented to another publisher, um, someone who was in media locally. And I was like, don't you think someone should do this? And she thought it was a good idea. She definitely didn't knock down my idea, but was like, hey, that would be really tough for someone to fund because there's no money in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't yet have the skill set I needed to just do it myself. Right. So you weren't going to do it on your iPhone. Right. Right. <laughs> so years later, um, I did a project for a National Geographic um, online story about Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. And when I came back from South Dakota from that project, I was super depressed to be home. And my mom and my grandmother... Um, I hope you can tell how influential they've been in my Mm -hmm. life by this interview. Um, They sat me down and they basically said, there are stories in your own backyard. There are injustices in your own backyard. You don't need to go to an Indian reservation. You don't need to go to Africa. You can look where you are. You can see who's screaming into the void, who's not getting listened to. Amplify those voices. Start there. And... 
that was a breakthrough for me because I think as artists, especially in the journalism realm, you see people getting rewarded for very exotic stories. Those are very <laughs> eye catching. And you want to be the cool person that gets sent on assignment yes. to like France or something. Yes. Um, and so we don't really always think about how we can be an instrument of change right where we are. Cause it's kind of dull and unsexy. Um, but that sort of was the catalyst for bypass. So, um, I really had no right to try to do this. I've never made a film in my life. I've never done a crowdfunding campaign in my life. I have two children. I'm self-employed and I did it anyway. Well, and Love also it. there was a lot of there was a lot of um you've had to take in a, some heat because there's some racial tensions um regarding this city and you being white. I know that that was also a challenge, like coming in and being like, hey, I want to do something. Um, can you speak to that at all? Or, you know, how did how did you navigate that? It's been tricky because it's come from all sides, to be honest. Um, I think that when I was starting to talk about this idea with my general network, they had a different picture of what message I wanted the project to send, almost like I was trying to bring Coatesville back to the olden days of the Lucan <laughs> steel mill and before, you know, Section 8 took over the city or something. They couldn't understand at all that I was talking about the current beauty and the current positive because they don't see it. Mm. And then coming into other culture groups, of course, there was like a little bit of mistrust. Like why? First of all, I haven't lived in the city of Coatesville for quite some time, like 20 years my grandmother left her home there um, the last years of her life. So we haven't had a home base in Coatesville City for like 10, 15 years. And it was almost like you aren't Coatesville enough. <laughs> and I live in Coatesville now, mailing address, but it's horsey Coatesville. Um, so there was a lot of alienation and I was recorded. So I basically, I identified who in the community I wanted to interview for the project. I also had a lot of vision for, um, people making their own content that we would splice in with ours. So it was more true to how they wanted their story to be told. It didn't really take off though. And so at some of those lunches, people recorded me to see if I would slip up and say something out of pocket or weird. Um, I had people speak out against me on Facebook saying that wow. I wanted to make a name for myself, The heat is on, <laughs> which is like kind of funny because I can't like, I can't picture like of all the things that I've done in my life, the least flashy thing to quote, make a name for myself with, I felt like would be something about Coatesville. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, those claims they hurt. And when you're doing a passion project, it's called that because you're fueled by your passion. So when your emotional energy is consistently dampened or like sort of um, chipped away at, it can be tough to fuel the project. Mm. But we just took breaks when we needed to. Um, me especially just took a, a couple breaks to like build my optimism mm. back up. And yeah. I think when you're working, um, when you want... A project to be bridge building, you have to accept that there's going to be a long trust building process and it's going to be a lot longer and a lot harder than feels fair, but it's the most important part of the work. Mm -hmm. 
So you really just need to do the work first and then expect the trust to come later. It, it's not going to be handed to you. Um, mm-hmm. And even though I had learned that with the Pine Ridge Project, I didn't expect it as much in my own hometown. So I think that's the part that sort of tripped me up. I was surprised by how long the initiation process was. It was almost like you were going on a safari. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right, in your backyard. So, the, so it's journalism is an art to you. And I know some people say journalism is a science or, you know, can you tell us about a certain interview that really you felt like you were in that space, that artistic creative space, you know, or just had that, you know, realm of inspiration around you or anything that sticks out while you're making this process? I think when you can see that walls are coming down and people are disarming around you and being able to share, I mean, the main difference between how I see myself in a journalist is a journalist has to always be ready to potentially ruin someone's life. And journalism can be really challenging in that way and sort of why I've shied away from um, that label. Um, whereas with more free flowing storytelling, you really get to just like sit back and open up with somebody and they sit back and open up to you. So it's kind of like show and tell. And so for me, it was those interviews where people had some hesitation maybe before we got to talking. And then throughout the course of the interview, I could see them just relaxing, softening, and just being wide open with me. And I don't think there's anything that feels better to me in life than achieving that. Mm. Um, And getting to hear some of the stories, what people have been through from other segments of the community in Coatesville, um, Mrs. Carter, who has since passed, we didn't get to film with her. We had only done audio interviews with her, Um, but she was uh, a key part of desegregating Coatesville schools. And she was alive still and sitting there talking to me about it and um, just understanding, coming into contact with how close some of that challenging history still is. um, It was a helpful reminder for me. Yeah. Hmm. When people watch the film, what can they expect without like giving too much away? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, What I wanted to do is show Coatesville in a more true and balanced light with a positive slant. So I didn't want it to be a puff piece. I didn't want to gloss over any reality, but I wanted to introduce some people from outside of Coatesville, people in the general Delaware Valley region, with this city they might have heard bad things about but have never even driven through. So I think it's sort of like a sneak attack. You'll sort of fall in love with the characters. I think you start rooting for the city And the most amazing thing has happened, which is since we started Bypassed and now since we're wrapping, they've been trying to revitalize the community forever, but it's actually starting to happen now. So we have um, Derek Morgan, who's just retired from the NFL, has... we had algebra together. Oh! (laughs) Name drop. (laughs) Name check, Derek Morgan. Um, He's investing big in Coatesville, um, building a an athletics and art center at the so cool. yeah wow. at the flats, which is right in the center of the city. And his wife is like vegan and has They're all very, these cool, very health cool. Conscious, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, things are actually happening. So there gets to be a much happier ending for our piece than just a think piece that's left with all mm. of these loose ends. I feel like there's.
there's a real resolution. A, re- a revival happening. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So we want to ask, a co- we ask everyone a, co- a couple things like self-care tips mm. uh, while you're, you know, trying to balance being an artist and a human. <laughs> I mean, have I gone on my self-care rant with you so ever? I think, <laughs> yeah. I feel like someone was like, yeah, do you have any? That was like yeah. their answer. Yeah. We're like, oh, oh okay. I yeah. feel, I mean, it's funny. Sean and I, my husband and I like joke about this all the time, which is that we see a lot of people who dwell on self-care who are primarily like not who we would picture as needing to make time to self-care. They seem to be taking care of themselves just fine a lot. (laughs) Um, I get a lot of energy from helping others and looking outward at the same time. When you are, you know, pouring out a lot of yourself, you do need to fill your cup back up. So my favorite way is Zumba. I hate the word Zumba, by the way. I feel like every time I say Zumba, I feel like I have on like Crocs. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I don't know. High-waisted gym shorts and like a visor. It's just such a dorky name. But um, I love dancing with all of these women, different sizes, different cultures, different languages, all ages. My daughters and I took Zumba yesterday and there was an 83-year-old woman in a sweater (laughs) She was just dancing her heart out and just feeling that like mind body connection. (laughs) I just feel like it's like, I don't know, natural endorphins, just like the best antidepressant ever. What's that NPR podcast uh, about the entrepreneurs? How I built this. Yes, yes, yes. That's a good episode. Yes, it is a good one. And I like the name. I like how they came up with the name. I like how they came up with it. I just feel dorky. (laughs) Zumba sounds like a dorky word, but it's amazing. And I feel like if communities had free Zumba in their parks, like imagine, I mean, people are doing yoga Zumba now. movement. The answer to rebuilding Coatesville is Zumba. Zumba. The answer Zumba. to everything is just Zumba. Zumba. Mic drop. Just Zumba. <laughs> Along the same lines, not necessarily self-care tips, but tips of how you have been able to fund your passion projects and your main art through your business, building up a business, anything you care to share with people who are like, I don't know how the hell to do this. And then they just don't, they can't start because they don't know how to do it. So this is like a hot button thing for me because I come from a family that's very creative and we do have a couple artists in the family who have had, you know, big wins and then just periods of no sales. Um, they're mostly painters. Um, and so for me, I mentioned that I come from a very financially driven past and that hasn't gone away. (laughs) I have two children to support. My husband is in grad school. Um, He's not working while he's in grad school in New York City. So I'm sort of carrying the whole load right now. And so I can't just indulge every creative whim I have. So I built AGP Collective as a way to make money. And I don't need to worry too much about my artistic credibility when it comes to AGP Collective. Obviously, I have a brand now and I have to like have a certain standard for the clients I take on. Um, but whatever I do as Sarah Alderman sort of is funded by AGP collective. So I just look at it as I have a sugar daddy. It just so happens. It's myself. Yes. <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm the man behind the curtain. You're your own sugar daddy. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, I have this mm. cousin, Josh, who's a 
brilliant painter and I've, he does hyper realism. His paintings are insane. You wouldn't know they were a painting. They look like a photograph and they're really cool. I've begged him for years to just do one of a celebrity, just do one of like some money. Yeah. And then make (laughs) your money and then do whatever you want after that. But he won't. He won't. But also I think it's hard when, you know, he would have to do that as Josh. Um, for me, anything I'm like sort of bashful about, or I'm like, Ooh, that's not cool. (laughs) I just do it under my brand or I just never put it online. Mm. I take the money and then I do something I really want to do with the money. Um, so basically I've spent the past five years, I'll say robbing the rich to pay for the poor. I work for very high end clients with AGP collective. And then in my downtime, I do free work for a community that could really benefit from free work. So you're Robin hood. Yeah, basically. Awesome. Amen. Well, we kind of we kind of have that going on a little bit too, like playing our cover gigs at country mm, clubs. We were just like, talking about this last night. You wait yep. till my protest song comes out. <laughs> you paid for it. You're not gonna like that you, one you, as I much. I remember you mentioning that you love playing the Bob Dylan songs about like the the yeah. the, the gaps between the poor and rich yes. the, at the country club. It's very ironic. I don't it's think like anyone probably ever realizes. And not to get all woo woo or spiritual, but recently I've been listening a lot around Das um, and he was just saying there's a uh, meditation that's on YouTube and it's called um, overcoming just being successful or something like that so it has the word successful in it it comes right up anyway um, he was talking about that very specific thing uh, sometimes we have to separate ourselves from who we think we are so that we can use these roles as our advantage. Yes. Like we're the masters. Like you said, you can be the sugar daddy. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard sometimes when you're just in it to realize that we have that capability within ourselves. So it's a, it's a journey getting there, but yeah, that's and I, good advice. I, I think sometimes as creatives, we also put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we see other creatives who are not doing another job. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that that will make that will make us successful if our main gig is just our creative outlet. You know, depending on your personality type, it actually might be a terrible idea for you. For me, I do best when I have a sense of security. In my life, I don't have somebody else to provide that sense of security for me right now. So yes, I'm 100% self-employed, but that doesn't mean that I'm always doing what I want to be doing while I'm self-employed. And I see no shame whatsoever in waiting tables or having an office job, being a dental hygienist. Who gives a shit? Like, just do what you need to do to provide for yourself, for your family, for your community. And then you have plenty of time left over. Have you ever gotten a screen time report from your phone? It's so rude. Yeah, it is. It is rude. I can now see exactly how much time I have for my art because I'm wasting it all looking at Instagram and other people's art. So it's like we have plenty of time to have a job, to do what nourishes our soul on the side. If that's your lot in life, you don't need to feel like your art or your creative product is any less significant than somebody else's just because you don't do it all day every day. Yeah. But your proof it's attainable and that and it's possible and that you just need to go out and do it. You, mm-hmm. you, you can do it. it it's, I think it's, uh, I think we get in our own way for sure. We're going to leave your link and all your info in the description, but if people want to check out your work and then also any info you want to share about bypass where people can see that. Sure. So, um, 
I, yeah, my business is AGP Collective. I have a website. I have an Instagram. <laughs> um, Bypassed will be premiering to a small group. Um, I think we'll keep it to around one to 200 at the Midway Arts Building in Coatesville. That will be a ticketed event. We're charging $100 per ticket. It'll be fancy dress, cocktails, hors d'oeuvres. And the whole purpose of that private screening is to fund the public premiere. We want to make sure that the public premiere can be free. Um, a lot of people in the community would not be able to afford a ticketed event. We want to make sure everybody can um, experience the film with us. Where Where is it going to be? So on April 11th, the ticketed event will be held at Midway Arts, which is where I have my photography studio. Okay. And that's right in Coatesville. Okay. Uh, the free public premiere events will probably be hosted at one of the schools or at Ash Park. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Wow. Yeah, I'm super yeah, stoked. Amazing. That's great. Cool. I have one last question yeah. before we end with our yes. mantra. And this is in yes. the mantra realm, mm -hmm. in the woo-woo realm <laughs> of things. Uh, so we were saying that you live in like the most beautiful place. And I know that you kind of manifested mm. this, um, which sometimes when we were talking about Instagram earlier, there's all these like self-care, like write it down and it will happen. But you are a true manifester. And I read this in the, the Philadelphia Inquirer, right? This was just an article that, is that what it was? That just that recently you shared on your Facebook oh, about... Oh, yeah, Philly Mag. Philly Mag yeah. is what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about your manifesting tools. Okay. <laughs> what so is your secret? My husband tells me I have a reality <laughs> distortion field, and I still don't know if that's like a good thing or if he thinks I'm <laughs> a mental patient. He Her claims that Steve Jobs has one too, so I'll take it as a compliment. <laughs> But basically, I will things into happening, and I don't know always how. It's just been a thing that I've always been able to do. Um, and I think that we're on the right track as a culture when we're talking about manifesting and like channeling abundance, but I do think that there's a little bit more to it um, in terms of looking at the opportunities that are available to you. So when this whole incredible unfolding in my life started, it was in 2012. And um, do we have a minute for me to share this? Yeah, of course. No, we have as long as you have. Okay. So <laughs> in 2012, I was super broke. I was an anthropology student and I was a new photographer. And I learned about the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. And almost the week after I learned about Pine Ridge, which is the poor, one of the poorest counties in the United States, um, I saw online that a National Geographic photographer who'd been shooting on the res for like seven years was coming to speak at Moore College of Art and Design. The tickets were $75. I had $0 and I had my emergency credit card with like 35 bucks on it. And so I called National Geographic and I asked if I could work at the registration table so that I could go for free. And they said, yes. So I went and here they told the speaker, Aaron Huey, that I was going to be there. And so oh. Aaron was excited to meet me and he said, stick around afterwards. So I did. And we ended up chatting and chatting and chatting. We had dinner. It was an amazing experience. That was in March of 2012. In July, Aaron called me out of the blue and asked me if I could go do this community voice project in South Dakota. By the way, couldn't pay me up front, so I couldn't fly. And 
couldn't pay me till I got back. And so I drove across the country. I left my kids with my mom and my grandma. Thank you, mom and grandma. And um, I just went to the Indian reservation on my own. So I say that because yes, you, you can manifest things, you can make opportunities happen, but you still have to look for them and you still have to say yes when they're hard. It wasn't easy for me to push through not having the money to go to that forum, but I got up at four in the morning so I could work at the registration table so I could go for free. And that led to this like big opportunity in my life that was a breakthrough for me. Uh, again, it wasn't a financially lucrative opportunity. Right. It was very risky. And I definitely got a lot of crap from my mom and my grandmother who were really nervous <laughs> about me going. Um, and I didn't know what to expect, but I threw myself into it. And sometimes those opportunities are right in front of us and we miss them because they're going to be challenging or they, ugh, you know, you don't have a guaranteed it's so outcome. unknown. Right. Um, and so I think just saying yes more as cliche as that is like that's sort of a key to manifestation and and like believing in yourself yeah that too yeah believing in yourself but I think there's always something there and I think when you're on the right path um these opportunities just sort of like lily pad like you'll get to one and you don't know what's next and then by the time you're finishing with that the other one appears and it's like you just do the next right thing I think Glennon Doyle says you do the next right thing and it'll take you all the way home Wow, I, I need to do some right things. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> you're doing a lot of right things, yes. sweetie. Um, okay, so we usually end on a mantra. Sean said, "Don't forget to end with keep it crispy," because that's his favorite podcast, Pete Holmes. <laughs> uh, Wrong P. podcast, Holmes. Sean. Love Pete Holmes. So as always, at the end, we like to recite our little mantra. And I've noticed that like I always rush this breath, so I'm going to take a real big breath, guys. It's if awkward. You want to join How do you me. take a breath on radio? Yeah. We just can. Okay. May I love myself. May I love others. May I have joy for myself. May I have joy for others. May I inspire myself. May I inspire others. May I love to live. May I live to love. May I live to create. May I create to live. You can be part of the Follow Your Art fam by subscribing to the podcast and following us on social media. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash followyourartpodcast. And our Instagram is instagram.com slash followyourart underscore podcast. We'd like this podcast to be a community experience. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to explore, or if you'd like to submit your art to be featured on all our social media platforms, feel free to email us at followyourartpodcast at gmail.com. A quick thank you to Benio Barshai for providing the intro and the outro music, our studio helpers. You've been listening to Follow Your Art.